mountains are, well, many of you have seen them. They're pretty amazing. I, I went to, I've been to Colorado once. For me, mountains, they were the Ozarks, you know. That was a mountain. And I remember Bree and I were driving across Kansas, which you know takes forever. And as soon as we crossed into Colorado, I thought we were going to see mountains. I thought they were just going to be there. And they weren't. You have to drive forever to see mountains. I kind of thought that the mountains were kind of like a snipe hunt. I thought they were, oh, come on, yeah, yeah. I thought it was something to get me to look forward to driving all that way. You know, when you see those mountains, they look like clouds. You know, you don't really, you can't really tell what they are until, of course, you get closer. And they're just awesome. I remember seeing them for the first time. It was remarkable to me uh, to see how God had formed them and made them and how I was reminded how he told me that that I can have a faith that can say to that mountain, move, and it'll be moved. And that was just an awesome thing to be able to take in. And, you know, I open up the scriptures, um, and you're probably familiar with uh, several instances in the Bible where mountains were used. And mountains were, as we're looking at mountain men, we're looking not just at the men and their situations that they went through on these mountains, but even more than that. I hope more than a character, an understanding of a character, a person in God's Word, I hope that we'll be able to understand who God is better through these mountaintop experiences. Now, there were a lot of times where God did use mountains, and I'm just going to tell you, we're going to be going through six instances. We're not going to be covering every mountain, and if you would allow me to insert a pun, and because I have to tell you it's a pun... We're just going to hit the high points, okay, of, of the mountains. I'd been working on that one for two weeks, but I felt like if I didn't tell you it was a pun, no one would get it and, or laugh, and it's all about the laughs. It's all about the laughs and the likes, right? So we're going to be looking this morning, and we're taking them really, not, not necessarily all in chronological, but, but definitely in a biblical order, and I want you to join me in opening your Bibles to Genesis chapter 22. I know we've just spent a lot of time in Genesis I'm um, looking at the life of Joseph and rising above. But this morning I want to be in Genesis chapter 22. Mountains are awesome in the Bible because if you think about some of the biggest things God did, they were on mountains. And the people that he used or that he summoned to those places, those mountain peaks, mountaintops, he did it, I believe, for several reasons. But one is because it required a little bit of effort to get up there. They had, to, they had to work, they had to endure, they had to be persistent in order to get to the place that God called them. It was often a challenge for them to make it up there. But even more than that, that mountain represented a place of, solidar- of a solitude. It represented a place of great intimate conversation and communication with God. Not a lot of people could go to the mountain, so it kept the numbers small. And some of the greatest events in biblical history happen on the top of these mountains. And this morning, we look at one. It's Mount Moriah. It is the Mount of Testing, is what what we would call it. It is a place where one man uh, was confronted with a tremendous test. A tremendous test was laid in his lap by God. And we watch this man ascend this hill. We watch his interaction with God. We watch his incredible obedience. And then from the end of that, we look at that and say, what does that mean for me? What does this story about one man and his son walking in obedience to God, what does that mean for my life? How can I take these truths off of this page and and put them into practice in my life? What is my life going to look like when I put these things into practice? Abraham 
For some of you, Abraham is one of your favorite characters. He's a man much like us. He had great accomplishments and great failures. He was not a man who was perfect by any means. He had gone through many tests throughout his life, and as God had called him from his home country to a new land, God had allowed him to be and often put him in positions where he would be tested in his, as a father, tested in his faith, tested in his fellowship, tested with his family. He had undergone many tests. Not all of them he passed, but this one this morning he does. This is the crowning achievement of Abraham's faith. This could very well be the test in which all other tests were leading up to. This is the one that when it was over, Abraham could have looked back over his life and the timeline of his existence and said, this was the one. This was the one for which all others were leading up to. I believe it was important for this granddaddy of all tests in Abraham's life to happen when it did. It reminds me that God is wise. God knows. God alone is good. That God would not, have in, uh, would not have placed him in that position. I believe God would not have put him to that test had he not been ready to do it. It was the previous test of faith, family, fatherhood, fellowship that he had endured, that he had gone through in order to prepare him for this one great moment. It had to do with his son, you see, Abraham and Sarah were old. Abraham was 100. Sarah was 90. God told them they're going to have, you're going to have a child, and that child is going to be blessed, and from that child he will have many descendants. God had already told Abraham his descendants would be as the stars in the sky. Genesis chapters 15, 16, and 17 record God's covenant with Abraham. But God told him, you're going to have a son in your old age, and that son is going to have descendants, and his descendants are going to be blessed. Well, in chapter 21, it happened. Isaac was born. Abraham had, a, had another child previous to that. Some refer to maybe his impatience, not trusting God. He had another child from, a, from one of his handmaidens, which caused some issues in the family. But God made sure that Abraham knew it was Isaac, your son with Sarah, that will be blessed. And then God does something. God does something that we would look at and say it's unreasonable. For many of us, we look at it, it's unconscionable. That God would give such a tremendous call, would place Abraham in such a tremendous test. And I want you to join me in chapter 22, verse 1. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Then he said, take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over there and worship. And we will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife. And the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. Then he said, look, the fire and the wood, 
But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. And then they came to the place which God had told him, and Abraham built an altar and there placed the wood in order, and he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. And he said, Do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there, behold, he was caught in a, a ram was caught in a thicket by its horn. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place, The Lord will provide, as it is to this day, in the mount of the Lord. It shall be provided. Wow. If that was the first time you've ever read that, is that not just a gripping story? Would you go ahead and turn these inside lights up a little bit, please? I can't see who's asleep. <laughs> raise them up. I've always wanted to say, will you raise the house lights, please? Guys, here's something awesome about this story. And the first thing is this. You may jot it down. This test required a sacrifice. Now, don't get me wrong, not everybody had this particular call. Not everybody had received this particular uh, commandment by God to take your only son and take him out there and offer him up. Because ultimately, if everybody received that commandment and everybody was faithful in doing that, there would be no more generations, right? They, they would be wiped out. This was not a call for everybody, but this was a call, this was a command for Abraham. You see, in our lives, we are all tempted... We are all tried. We all go through challenges and we're all called to sacrifice. But you know what? The things that I am tried with may not be the same things that you are tried with. We're all tempted with sin, no doubt. But the things that challenge me in my life, the things that may stand between me and the Lord, the things that may hinder my walk with Christ may not be the same things that you battle with or you struggle with. But God turns to Abraham and says, Abraham, I gave you that son. I gave you that boy when your wife was 90 years old. I gave, your wife, I gave you that child when you were 100. And now, Abraham, I want you to go up to that mountain on Mount Moriah, and I want you to offer him there for me as a burnt offering. Now, any one of you that has children cannot imagine. I'm sure you can't even, you shudder to think. If you were in Abraham's position, your son, notice what God says, your son, your only son, the son that you love. This call, this call that God was telling Abraham, I want you to give him up. God was calling him to give up the very thing that he loved the most. The very thing that was the most dear to him. It was his prized possession. And God says, Abraham, give him up to me. You know, I think it's... I think sacrifice is not typically a word that we like to think about, typically. We like, because in sacrifice, we think that sacrifice is the opposite of sufficiency. 
And we always want to be sufficient. We always want to know that we have enough. We always want to know that, that we even have more than enough. And sacrifice reminds us, hey, I'm giving something up, and that means I'm going to have some kind of a loss. That means I may not be sufficient. And oftentimes, we don't like the word sacrifice. But if you think about it, sacrifice is an essential element into our journey with Jesus. In fact, in Matthew chapter 10, when he calls all 12 disciples to him and he gives them some of the marching orders and lays out for them what it is to truly be a disciple, he shares those words with us that are the emblem, true emblem, true marker of our, of our, of our discipleship as a follower of Jesus. He said, if you take up your cross daily, he said, take up your cross daily. For us, the cross is a, is a representative of hope. For us, the cross represents love. But back in those days when Jesus was telling them to take up their cross, it was one thing. It was an instrument of death. What Jesus was telling his disciples was, I want you to live each and every day as a sacrifice for me. Think about this for a moment. To define sacrifice, we really have to realize that there are four essential elements in order for there to truly be sacrifice. One of those is there must be willingness. It's not a real sacrifice if you're not willing to give it over, right? To lose something unwillingly is called theft. Someone's taken it from you. Ultimately, you have to be able, you have to be willing. Secondly, you can't have a sacrifice without a loss. I mean, that is, that is a fundamental part of sacrifice. I am willing to make a temporary loss for a future gain. The third thing is there has to be ownership. I, you can't really sacrifice something that's not yours. You can't really sacrifice, in the, in the truest definition, something that is someone else's. But I think probably the greatest of the four words that really lines up with what Abraham was dealing with was value. You have to have value in a sacrifice. It has to be something that is worth something to you. And you know, I thought about those four words and how they all mean the important part of a sacrifice and together, fused together, they really help us understand what I have to have, the ingredients, a willingness, a loss, a ownership, and value. And I, and I thought of something. I thought of John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And I want you to think about something, how those four words show themselves in John 3, 16. When you think of the word willingness, the Bible tells us in John 3, 16 that he gave. It was God's decision to initiate sending his son as a sacrifice for us. The word loss. Well, he gave over Gave up, gave us ownership, his. It was God's son, his only son. And the value, his only son. In order to have those four things, we are then equipped to be able to truly sacrifice. God called him to give up something that was the nearest and dearest to his heart. And the good news is this. Abraham passed the test. Abraham passed the test. You know what is so amazing to me 
I know that Abraham is called the father of the faithful. I know that James and Hebrews both speak of this being a huge event. But think about this with me for a moment, parents. Do you know what is, what is glaringly not in this story of Abraham offering Isaac? That there's something that is just as remarkable that it's not there. There is no argument with Abraham. That there is no Moses at the burning bush saying, I can't, I stutter, God. That there's nowhere in there does Abraham say, wait a second, God, this is the kid you gave me. No, no, no words, no issues, no, no discourse back and forth, no balking. What we have is God says, Abraham, he says, here I am. He says, take your son, your only son, to Moriah and offer him there at a place I will tell you. And Abraham saddles the donkey. To go. There is no balking. There is no argument. There is this moment where he hears it. And let me tell you, Abraham was a good man. He was not perfect. So for those of you that may think, well, maybe Abraham did, but it's just not recorded in Scripture. There's plenty of other dirt on Abraham in Genesis. They, they didn't hide dirt on Abraham, okay? If he would have balked, don't you know it would have been in there? And his life would not have been used as an example of incredible faith. Offer your only son, Isaac. Okay. Get the donkeys. Bring the boy. Let's get the wood chopped. We got a date. Let's go. Isn't that incredible? The test was passed. You see below that, how did he do it? How did he do that? Is it because he loved God? Did Abraham hear God say it and he says, okay, God, I love you more than I love my son. I would like to tell you that that's the case, that Abraham would have thought in his heart, God, I love you. My love for you is greater than any other love that I have for my wife or for my child, Isaac or Ishmael. God, I love you more. And, and no doubt in Genesis chapter 15, Abraham was called a friend of God. He had a close, personal, intimate friendship with God. So I, I can't take away from the fact that there's a possibility he was greatly motivated by love. Was it simple blind obedience? Did he just hear God say, do this, and he was like, well, all right, I'm not doing anything else? No, of course not. Allow me to read a scripture to you that tells us exactly what Abraham's motivation was. Now, guys, get ready for this. Because if, never, if you never really thought too much of Abraham, maybe that's about to change. Hebrews chapter 11, the hero's roll call of faith, tells us exactly what Abraham's motivation was. Please listen carefully. Verse 17, By faith Abraham, when he was tested offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son. Listen, of whom it was said, in Isaac your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up 
even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. Abraham comes to this place and says, my son is a gift from God. God promised me that in Isaac my seed would be blessed and that Isaac's descendants would be blessed. And the only way Isaac's descendants could be blessed is if he's alive. So Hebrews tells me that when God said, go offer him up, Abraham went to that place believing that if he was going to kill him, God would raise him from the dead. Do you know how many people had been raised from the dead at that point? I can count them on no fingers. Abraham believed. Listen, how did he do it? Yes, he had faith. Yes, he had love. But he had faith in the promise that God had given him he knew i know what god told me to do it doesn't make sense to me it seems unreasonable maybe i don't understand how he's going to work this all out but all i know is that god made a simple promise to me and i'm going to take him at his word wow wouldn't that, what would our lives be like if that was the case in the midst of our trials, in the midst of our, our temptations, in the midst of our difficulties, in the midst when it seems like the fire is so hot and you can't possibly find any more dross, God. You know, we're waiting for, for things to happen. What, what if we said, God, you know what? I know what your word says. I know what your promise is to me. And I'm going to believe your promise no matter what my eyes see. I'm going to hold you to your word, God, because you are faithful. Guys, that's what it's about. You hear me talking about reading the Word, familiarizing yourselves with the Word. You see in your bulletin there's a memory verse. You know why we do that? So we can be equipped with the promises of God. So when those moments come and life pulls the rug out from under us, we can turn to God who holds all things in His hand and says, God, I don't like this. It's uncomfortable. It's difficult. I don't know what to do except to follow and obey Your Word. When did this happen? When, when did God meet his need? Right at the perfect time. See, God didn't bring down a whole legion of angels and, and bring with them a sacrifice so they could offer it. No, God did something quite normal. He took a ram. Let it get caught in the tree right at the perfect time. Bring in the knife back to do something that you and I cannot even imagine. And as he brings it back, the angel says, lay no harm to the young boy, for now I know that you fear the Lord. Look, there's a ram over there. Go offer him instead. Here's the third thing. The test had a purpose. When times are tough, when times are hard, we want to say, how can I get out of this? But what we ought to say is, what can I get out of this? You see, what evidence does the Bible give us of why this happened? 
Well, the first I just read to you in Hebrews, it said that he was justified by faith. James says the same thing in chapter two. Abraham was justified by faith. You know what that means? It means that his faith was shown to be right. This test, God already knew that Abraham was going to do it. He's omniscient. He knows all things. He knew Abraham was going to do it. So that test was not to inform God. That test was to show Abraham his faith. That test was to show others. That test was to show us that our relationship with God is to be the most important relationship, that obedience to his word is to be the most important thing, no matter what the cost. He was justified by faith. I believe it was also done to grow his relationship with God. Look in chapter 22. Verse 13, then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked and there behind behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it for a burnt offering instead of his son. Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide as it is to this day. Jehovah Jireh. What he's saying is this. It's recorded. That test, going through that test, did not just mean to demonstrate his faith and, and to put his faith on display. But even more than that, it helped knit that relationship between he and God. Do you think that was a different Abraham that walked down that mountain than the one that walked up? Oh, I don't doubt it for a moment. Third thing. I believe it was done to increase Abraham's faith because God showed himself faithful. God wants us to trust his word in the midst of trials because he wants to do something that he could only do in that situation to show himself glorious. He wants to show himself faithful in our trials, tribulations, difficulties. He wants to show that he is Lord over every situation and he is capable of working all things together for the good. But I think probably one of the most important reasons, in my opinion, one of the most important purposes of this test is something that you and I are all able to grab a hold of this morning. And it's this. I believe God Use that test in Abraham's life to make him look more like his creator. The tests in our life. You don't like them, they're uncomfortable, they're difficult. I believe one of the great and grand purposes of those tests. Is that they will be used to make us look more like our creator. You've heard the story of the silversmith, how they put the, the silver and they, they, they placed the, the, the mined silver in the, hot, uh, in, the, in the hot iron container and then they melted and all the dross, all the impurities rise to the top. And, and I'm sure you've heard of the story, how the silversmith knows when it's done as he's ladled off all the dross or impurities and, and minerals that don't belong in it. When he knows the silver is pure, they say, he can look down into his smelting pot and see his reflection that's God's desire as our silversmith, our spiritual blacksmith, if you will. He wants to mold us and make us and form us into his image. And there's no better way than trials and tests. Friends, you can look all over the Bible. You can look from Genesis to Revelation. You can peruse through the minor prophets. You can examine the life of David. Moses, you can look at some of the greatest men of faith and some of the greatest accomplishments. And let me tell you this. Outside of the act, actions of Jesus, 
outside of the actions of Jesus, you will never find an example where someone in one moment looked more like God than Abraham. Oh, he laid the burden on his son's shoulders and sent him up the hill. He placed the wood at that place. What was his son for? What was his son used for? A sacrifice. The father then lays his son down in the way that was that he was supposed to and brought the knife back to slay him. You will never find a clearer picture of Jesus Christ than in the picture of Isaac and his father Abraham. These trials are tough. But God, the overarching reason God uses them is to make us look more like him. Let me ask you a question. As a believer, those of you that know you are a believer. When was the last time you sacrificed? In the truest sense of the word, I'm not speaking about sacrificing for your sin. When was the last time you in willingness and ownership and value and loss, when was the last time you could look at your walk with Christ and say, you know what, I sacrificed in my walk with Christ. I sacrificed my time. I have sacrificed my talent. I have sacrificed my treasure. When was the last time in our lives as believers we can point to a moment where we really sacrifice, not give, sacrifice nothing puts a knife to the throat of our will more than willful sacrifice on behalf of christ i want to ask you today what is christ calling you to lay down what is christ calling you what is god right now clearly on your heart calling you to give up is it your time to serve is it your talent to minister is it your treasure to finance the work of the lord whatever it is what is God calling you to sacrifice? Sacrifice is a crucial part, crucial element of our walk with Jesus Christ. How are we going to take up our cross daily with him? And secondly, if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ, you don't know where you are going to spend eternity. Do you remember what Isaac said when they were walking up the mountain? Isaac said, Daddy, I see the wood. I see the knife and I see the fire, but where is the lamb? God provided a ram. It was a few thousand years later that a big burly guy with camel hair and grasshopper and honey caught in his beard looked up and answered the question that Isaac asked. You see, John the Baptist looked up and beheld Jesus walking and said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. The answer to Isaac's question was not answered right then. The answer to Isaac's question happened 2,000 years ago on Calvary's Hill. That's where the Lamb is. That father did not withhold. That father gave his son over and, and, and allowed him to die in your place and mine. There is no greater news today that you will ever hear than the fact that Jesus Christ died for your sins. What it requires on your part is to believe in your heart 
that you are a sinner separated from God. And then when Christ carried that burden up that hill, your sins were part of that burden. He died for you so that you could know him. And to say in your heart, God, I know I've sinned. I have separated myself from you because of that sin. And today, God, today is the day. This is the moment where I believe that you sent Jesus to die for me. And I, through faith, through faith, receive him as my Savior and Lord for the forgiveness of sins. If you say that from your heart to God's heart, I believe the Bible says they that call upon the name of the Lord will never be ashamed. What decision do you have today? Is it a private decision between you and God, something you're laying down at the altar? Is it a public decision, something you, you want to make sure everybody knows that today is the day you trusted Christ? Maybe it's a rededication in your heart. You know you're off. You can't answer that sacrifice question, and you're ready to learn and to be more like your, your Savior, Jesus Christ. Maybe it's church membership. Maybe it's baptism. Whatever decision that is, this is the response time. Let's give all the glory and honor to Jesus Christ. Father, I praise you. Abraham did not kill his son, but you sent your son to die. Father, I thank you that that lamb is Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you that our relationship with you is so incredibly valuable that there should never be anything in our life, God, that rivals or challenges where you set. Father, I pray that you would search our hearts and reveal to us those areas where we have held back from you, those areas where we're saying without ever uttering the words, God, I love this more than you. God, I love that person more than you. God, I love myself more than you. Help us to lay those down today in faith, giving you all the glory. Father, help those that are in the midst of trials right now to hold to your word, to cling to your word, to find other believers to walk with them through the difficult time. Father, I thank you that you are full of promises and all of your promises are true. Do an awesome work this morning in our lives. In Christ's name we pray, amen.